0: It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. I'm Teresa. And I'm Colleen. We're two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it.
1: Welcome to Tangential Inspiration. Hello. I'm Teresa. I'm Colleen. And I'm going to chat about. Um, so my mother-in-law sent me when Sandra Day O'Connor passed sadly recently a text that we needed to do a podcast on her. Oh, and I'm like, no, I need to do RBG first because. Okay. But um. So anyway, I'm gonna kind of talk about all of the lady justices. Oh, I'm her. excited!
0: I don't know anything about. Yeah, and I, I didn't really either. Them. I didn't either. That's so. great. I'm actually going to talk about bone marrow transplants. Oh. I don't know anything about that. I didn't either. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk about the process of it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to talk about a story of... We're
1: going to learn so much. I'm excited.
0: Yes. So I want to talk about this cute little girl. Her name is Sky Saverin McCormick. And she was diagnosed with myelomonocytic leukemia. In March of 2016, just before her first oh, birthday.
1: Oh, my God. I know. Mm. I can't even
0: imagine. That same year, she had her first bone marrow transplant from Hayden Hatfield Riles. I'm just going to call her Hayden. There's a <laughs> lot of names in this. <laughs> like so. last time when
1: you were like, just call him Michael. Just right. call him Michael.
0: Yeah. So the little girl's name is Skye. Hayden is a girl, and she was age 26, and she gave Sky her first bone marrow transplant and a bone marrow transplant involves replacement of damaged or diseased bone marrow with stem cells mm-hmm. derived from healthy bone marrow. Right. And then she ended up actually having a second and final bone marrow transplant in April of 2017
1: Don't from you another donor. Wonder how they I mean how they even know that she had this
0: from this leukemia? Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't go into that as to how she was diagnosed mm-hmm. or anything like that. But it sounds I mean, that's like a lot of times, before her
1: first birthday,. To right, already,
0: yeah, right. But it sounds like a lot of times with these kids, it's almost like a fever or something mm, that doesn't go away, yeah. the flu, yeah, and they get tested, yeah. and, you know, it's a blood test or something like yeah. that. So I also looked up why somebody needs a second bone marrow transplant, and I couldn't find anything definitive. But part of it said it's because, well, this was just maybe my thought based on what I read, not really with her case, but sometimes when it's a little kid like this, they can't mm-hmm. do a full bone yeah. marrow transplant the first time they're just so they're too little. little yeah just so yeah. little so months after her transplant, Sky's parents received a letter from Hayden. so remember Hayden did the first bone marrow transplant who reached out through her through be the match, the organization to which Hayden had donated her bone marrow. so a lot of times be the match keeps them. On, like, a file or on a. Right. They're, a, they don't know each other. In a other. database. Okay. Right. Oh, right. gotcha. Um, Keeps them
1: anonymous. So anonymous. So Thank
0: don't. you. Yes, anonymous. And so Hayden had actually reached out to the family, and I think she just wanted to know Sky better. And so Riles and Sky's family exchanged texts and Facebook messages until Riles or Hayden sent Sky a gift for her third birthday. Mm-hmm. And she asked Sky to be in her wedding.
1: And Aww. she asked her
0: to be her flower girl at her June 2018 Aww. wedding.
1: That's so sweet. I know. Oh, That's make so me me cry.
0: cry. <laughs> so, after Skye's doctors gave her a clean and clear bill of health, she and her parents made the trip to Alabama. And at the wedding rehearsal, Skye and Riles embraced for the very first time. Because really, you don't see... Right. Them. If it's not somebody you know, you're right. in separate rooms right. in the hospital. And like you said, they keep them anonymous. So... And then, in you know, after this sweet wedding, Skye's family really wanted to know who this second donor had been because they didn't know who the second donor mm-hmm. was. So through Be the Match, they reached out and said, if allowed, we'd really like to know who the second donor was. And it ended up being Ricky Courier, And he was a 25-year-old. Wow. Right. And we'll go into this later about how this is actually who they prefer to donate is younger people, people. which I didn't realize until I looked into it further. And he is a 25-year-old resident application engineer from Greensboro, North Carolina. Ricky and his wife, Chelsea, met Skye and her parents in Santa Monica last week. Courier said he donated bone marrow in 2017 at a drive in support of a family friend. However, he soon learned that he'd be helping out a one-year-old girl with leukemia instead. Oh I know, I know. Courier said, I didn't do anything special. I helped out like anyone should do. I don't feel like I deserve a thank you. From what her a being hero. The, right I know. Mm. From her being in the hospital to her progression now, it's just amazing to see. Today, Skye is two years cancer-free. And it's all thanks to Yay. Hayden Riles and Courier's Bone Marrow donations. Mom, Talia, that's her first name, that's Skye's mom, um, said her family is forever grateful to both Hayden and Ricky, and said her heart beats because of both of you. Oh, I know. I thought that was just so sweet. I just loved that she was in her wedding. And if you Google this, you can yeah, see cute little pictures, pictures of, of her mom. in the wedding. So very sweet. enjoy, because yeah, I thought it was adorable. Sweet.
1: So way back in episode 53, I talked about Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, and I have to say that I have, for a long time, wanted to do a story on Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the notorious RBG. Right. (laughs) She's one of my absolute heroes. I have a picture of her print on my wall in my office, and one of the guys, every morning he comes in and he's on the news, (laughs) stuff and he's like, who's your favorite person up there? Because there are six power ladies. Oh, okay. And I'm like, every day. Rbg, Rbg, but I haven't done her because there's kind of like Lucille Ball. Yeah, I admire them so much. I don't know if I will ever be able. Does to. Does it them. almost seem daunting? Yeah, daunting for sure. Right. And right. I don't know if I can do them justice because they just are like my idols. Like
0: right, idols. So oh, that's so interesting. I, I cannot think of a person like that for me. Oh, I have. I have a couple. Okay, and I'm going to have to think on like <laughs> who is my power person who is your I rbg love- yes
1: <laughs> so it's just funny that he constantly How? is asking me who's my favorite person up there because there's like greta tunberg and um, amelia Earhart. oh i love um, amelia Earhart. yeah there are some yeah. great ladies up there and he's, right. he's like who's your who's your favorite up there and every mm. day
0: it's rbg i'll have to ask my husband who he thinks is mine like I, like sometimes he'll be like well so and so yeah, of course Whoa, I don't, oh that's true yeah yeah oh okay they know us well right
1: So, with the recent passing of Sandra Day O'Connor, the first female Supreme Court justice, I thought all of the women of the Supreme Court could use a little shout-out. Yes. girl power. So, I realized with that what an incredible impact these women have had. I could easily do several episodes about each of them. Sure. Sure. So, I'm just going to touch on some of the highlights. So, to put things in perspective, the Supreme Court was established in 1790. Oh, my goodness. I know. Okay. Did not know that. I feel like I should know that. No. <laughs> I do love history. I do too, but, and things we learned, you know, you, you don't use it all the Dear time. Dear listener, so. we've been
0: out of high school a long time. <laughs> yes. Social studies and history in high school was a long, long time God. ago. Yes. yes.
1: <laughs> Since then, there have been 115 justices. Of those 115 justices, there have only been six female
0: justices. Wow.
1: Isn't that insane?
0: That kind of...
1: I mean, um, we've always had men and women in sure.
0: our country. Sure. So, <laughs> we do need okay, one of
1: each. No, know. Exactly. So about 5% of the justices have been women in a country where women make up about 51.1% of the U.S. population. So what's worse is that for the first 191 years of the Supreme Court's history, there were no female justices. I can't wait to do some things on ladies with voting because I have some fun historical things that I've right. been reading that I, I want to do, but anyway, that that's another day. Right. Right. And while recent administrations have worked harder to get more female federal judges and Supreme Court justices, there's a long standing lack of representation for sure, with women in the courts. Right. Sandra Day O'Connor, who sadly died on December 1st, 2023, was 93. She died of, I know she, that's a long life. I still picture her just being in her robe and you think she's like in her 70s. Right, right. She had advanced dementia and respiratory disease. She was the first woman to ever serve as a member of the U.S. Supreme Court. Like I said, she was appointed by President Reagan. I do remember when she was appointed. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. deal. That was September of 1981, and Justice O'Connor replaced retiring Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart. Sandra Day was born in 1930, grew up on a ranch near Duncan, Arizona. Hmm. The ranch was 198,000 acres, and it was a cattle ranch. They didn't have electricity or running water until Sandra was seven years old. Hmm. So it was nine miles from the nearest paved road.
0: Just to put everything into perspective here. I would think, though, to me, just hardworking. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That is just one thing that just and comes to my has, mind so quickly, hardworking.
1: She has several quotes when I was looking at, you know, our final quote. She has several quotes on working hard, so yes. absolutely. yes. Sandra grew up working the ranch. Shooting at coyotes, (laughs) she learned to drive on the ranch as soon as she could see over the dashboard. Mm -hmm. Sandra also spent much of her youth living with her grandparents who lived in El Paso, Texas, so she could go to a local private school. Now, this lady, despite growing up on a ranch, which you'd think she wouldn't have, you know, Spent a lot of time with her education. She was a smart cookie. She entered Stanford University when she was just sixteen. Oh my goodness! She graduated magna cum laude with an, the degree in economics, and then went on to Stanford Law School, which is very prestigious. In oh itself. yes, yes. While there, she was on law review, which is a big honor, mm-hmm. and her editor was William Rehnquist. Oh wow! Okay, who she dated? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Rehnquist would later propose to Sandra, which she turned down, obviously. If William Rehnquist sounds familiar, it's because he was the Chief Justice of the mm-hmm. United States Supreme Court from nineteen eighty six to two thousand five. By the way, that was one of four proposals she received <laughs> while in law so school. Popular. Yeah, <laughs> she must have been popular I know. with the boys. So, Sandra graduated from Stanford School of Law. I'm sure they were
0: only thinking of her mind.
1: (laughs) Um, School of Law when she was just 22. Most people graduate from law school when they're, you know, 25, 26. Six months after her graduation from law school, she married fellow law student John O'Connor. He must have been the lucky one. Number five. (laughs) (laughs) Making her Sandra Day O'Connor. Keep in mind, in 1952... There were very few female law students and very few female lawyers. She had a hard time finding work because of her gender. You know, discrimination was rampant. And she eventually started working unpaid doing legal research. Her research was of such high quality, she eventually started getting paid. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But she still had to sit with the secretaries. Now, that reminds me of Hidden Figures, where they had the... Totally. Yeah, so. She started (sighs) writing legal memos and started to get noticed. She began working with the district attorney from San Mateo County, and her husband got drafted, and she went to work with him in Germany as a civilian attorney for the Army. After three years in Germany, they moved to Arizona and started a family, having three children. During this time, Sandra took five years off of the practice of law but started in politics, which huh. I think is rather interesting. Yeah, She was the assistant attorney general of Arizona and then an Arizona state senator, <laughs> which I didn't know any of this. No, Following her term as a state senator, she was appointed a judge. Keep in mind, even in the 70s, female judges were practically unheard of. I'm sure. She later was appointed to the Arizona Court of Appeals. In 1981, fulfilling his campaign promise of appointing a woman to the U.S. Supreme Court, President Ronald Reagan... Nominated Sandra Day O'Connor as an associate justice of the Supreme Court. The Senate approved her unanimously. Wow! And like you said, that was that was huge. I I remember that in. Uh, I think it's also in,
0: huge that they approved her unanimously. Yes. Oh, absolutely! I don't think absolutely. we'd see that today for oh. anybody. <laughs> oh, Stanley, I know. So that's amazing. Yes,
1: being the first female on the Supreme Court came with some unexpected problems. The first being there was no. Woman's restroom near the court once again reminds me of Hidden Figures. Justice O'Connor was conservative in some areas and liberal in others, and often the voice in the middle. She was well regarded as being prepared and scholarly, and it wouldn't be until 1993 that she was joined by another female justice,
0: Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Can I just say too? I I love that like i want all the judges to be conservative in some things and liberal in mm-hmm. some things like i feel like that's a well-rounded individual that's how we are i okay. i just love that i i, I don't know when that's you said how, that i was like i think that's an awesome yeah. judge well because they weigh in all isn't of that the a factors. human being yes that's how that's I, how we're i just really love that yeah i do too i just i love that about her um um yeah. Okay, so in 1993. So she was, did you say 1993? Yes. That, so she was alone from 81 to 93. She yeah. was the only one. Yeah. That's a long time. I know. I hope they gave her a restroom. I know. <laughs> 12 years? <laughs> Can I have a stall? How about or a stall? stall <laughs> yeah. A little hallway with a stall. <laughs> or
1: longer to get to the restroom. because. You know, know. <laughs> um. So Judge O'Connor continued to sit on the Supreme Court until her retirement in 2006. Justice Samuel Alito was selected to replace her on the Supreme Court. Following her retirement from the court, she traveled frequently for speaking engagements and was a proponent of judicial independence, which doesn't surprise me, particularly right. not allowing politics to impact the role of judges yes. and neutral and fair arbitrators. Once
0: again. That's kind of common sense. what we were just saying. <laughs> yes. like. Liberal in some things, conservative in the other. I mean, just common sense. I love it. She was fond of saying
1: that courts interpret the law as it is written, not as the congressman might have wished it was written.
0: Oh, that's amazing. So preach.
1: I like that. Preach. She also championed programs to provide affordable or free legal services for the poorest defendants. Mm -hmm. She was also active in several groups that sought to teach students more about how government works. Her husband, John O'Connor, suffered from Alzheimer's for the last 20 years of his life, dying in 2009. And it's a long time. Yeah. Wow. Sandra would also suffer from an Alzheimer's like form of dementia. Mm -hmm. Current Chief Justice John Roberts said of her, she was an eloquent advocate for civil education and a fiercely independent of the rule of law which I think is quite a compliment. I do too. President Biden called Sandra Day O'Connor an American icon dedicated to public service and the bedrock American principle of an independent judiciary. Which, once again, huge compliment. I love that. So now we get to one of my all-time favorite heroes, (laughs) Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Seriously, I love this feisty, spunky, brilliant, and witty woman. I love how Kate McKinnon plays her on. Or used player on Saturday Night Live. Okay. Oh I have not gosh. seen any of this. Must look up. I know up.
0: who Kate McKinnon is. Yes.
1: Must look up. Okay. How she plays okay. RBG. Okay. Since it's likely that I'll do a story on her, I won't go into too much depth okay. as I'd like to in this episode. Ginsburg was, like I said, just the second woman appointed to the Supreme Court, and she was the first Jewish woman on the Supreme Court. Born in Brooklyn as Joan Ruth Bader in 1933, her father was an immigrant from Ukraine and her mother was raised in New York by Polish immigrants. Her older sister sadly died of meningitis when Ruth was only 14 months old. When she became school age, she was in class with several other Jones, so her mom suggested that she go by Ruth, which she began doing and went by that for the rest of her life. She was raised Jewish, although her family was not Orthodox. Education was important to both of Ruth's parents, and they made sure that she studied and took frequent trips to the library. Her parents thought she um, would end up teaching history. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Which one that kind of talks about the time. They thought all the... We, you know, women would be domestics or teachers. Right, right. During high school, Ruth played the cello. She was a member of the honor society and a baton twirler <laughs> in the marching band. Remember those? I do. <laughs> so that's hard. It is very hard. <laughs> high school was hard for Ruth as her mother Cecilia had been struggling with cancer and died oh. the day before her high school graduation.
0: Oh, that breaks my heart. I
1: know. Fun fact. Ruth was a self-proclaimed terrible driver. Her husband often teased her about it. I also, I've read, you know, different books with about RBG, and they just had such an amazing relationship. But anyway, he teased her about her driving. She failed her driver's exam five times before
0: passing. Well, I have to say, like, I always joke, like, my kids can park better than I can because parking is oh. not my forte. I just, it's just not my thing. Yeah. I I get really nervous. I know. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Recently, I parked with my friend in the car, and I literally, (laughs) like, I was sweating. (laughs) I was in a really tight spot. I think I was like, (laughs) like she had to tell me to calm down. (laughs) So at least she didn't say, "Can
1: you get out and and (laughs) guide me in?" Because that would be (laughs) me. Ruth attended Cornell University in New York, and at the age of 17, she met Martin Ginsburg. She graduated from Cornell with a degree in government and was the highest-ranking female student in her graduating class. One month after graduation, Ruth and Martin got married. Shortly after they married, Martin was called up for active military duty as the Korean War was occurring, Mm. and they moved to Oklahoma. Ruth was 21 and began working for the Social Security Administration. She was demoted when she became pregnant with her first child, which probably set the tone for some of her later positions. Probably. (laughs) Well... And I think sometimes she kept quiet. Well, yeah. That'll have to be another time. Okay. 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 In um, 1956, she enrolled in Harvard Law School, and she was one of nine female students out of the class of 500 students. I've seen this picture of her with, you know, all of these men. (laughs) Right, right. Ginsburg was an excellent student, and like Sandra Day O'Connor, made law review. For her third and final year of law school, she transferred to Columbia Law School because Martin had taken a job in New York. Mm. She was also on law review at Columbia and graduated from Columbia, tied for first in her class. Jeez. So, once again, smart cookie. Right. Like Sandra, Ruth had a hard time finding work because she She's was a woman. woman. <laughs> in an How almo- dare her be no, a woman? <laughs> no. In an almost exclusively male field. Despite stellar recommendations from the dean of both Harvard and Columbia... What
0: else can you ask for? I mean, (laughs) seriously. I know. Here's some recommendations from Columbia and Harvard. What else can you ask for? I know. I don't think anything bigger than that. My goodness. Still,
1: she was rejected from clerking positions because of her gender. One of her law professors told a judge that if he didn't hire Ruth as a law clerk, he would never recommend another Columbia law student to the judge again. That judge hired Ruth and was impressed with her legal ability and, and passion. After clerking after clerking after clerking for a judge for two years, Ruth took a research position at Columbia Law and studied... Another
0: researcher. That's all we've got for you. You and Sandra. All you're good for is research.
1: Seriously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, at Columbia
1: Law and studied Different law systems, particularly that of Sweden. Uh Unlike in the United States, where female lawyers and law students were practically non-existent, Ruth found that 25% of the law students in Sweden were female. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. In 1963, she became a professor at Rutgers Law School, where she was paid less than other male professors. That's not shocking at all. So was that in Sweden? No, Rutgers is here. Oh okay so she she had studied that so oh, okay. when she was doing her research she found those numbers okay interesting okay um so she in 1963 became a professor at Rutgers Law School where she was paid less just because she was a female they told her that was because um it she got less because her husband had a very good job oh. <laughs> <laughs> so at this time but
0: did she have a bathroom <laughs> Yeah. That's my next God. question. <laughs> good question. Sadly, that's a really okay. good question. I think so.
1: At this time, she was one of less than 20 female law professors in the United States.
0: Just let oh. that sink in.
1: That's insane. I just love how
0: they're like, but what does your husband make? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Excuse me? Well, and would she have gotten the job had she been single? Because, yeah, oh, no. just
1: it's crazy. Wow. Remember, women before this time, couldn't even get their own credit card. I mean, they couldn't buy a how? I mean, yeah. Right, right. So in the 1970s, she became the first female tenured law professor at Columbia Law School and started the Women's Rights Law Reporter, the first law journal in the. US. to focus exclusively on women's rights. She also co-authored the first law school textbook on sex discrimination. So beginning in 1972, Ginsburg started taking on cases for the ACLU that focused on gender discrimination, including arguing six cases before the U.S. Supreme Court, where she won five of those six cases. Whoa. At it's the Supreme pretty Court? Impressive. Is yeah. what you said?
0: At the yeah. Supreme Court or at the, before state? the Supreme, Supreme Court. Court? Before the Supreme Court.
1: Um, she represented both men and women to show that gender discrimination hurt both sexes. She targeted... So interesting laws that impacted women, particularly those that were intended to keep women in traditional roles. Right. Because she had been there. Because she had been there. She gained a reputation as a skilled advocate in her cases, and her cases and advocacy ended many discriminatory laws that impacted women. One of her cases, before the Supreme Court, extended the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to cover women, making them a protected class in gender discrimination cases. President Jimmy Carter appointed Ruth Bader Ginsburg to the Federal Court of Appeals in 1980 for the District of Columbia. She earned a reputation as a cautious and moderate jurist. In 1993, President Bill Clinton nominated her for a position on the Supreme Court. She was approved by Congress with a vote of 96
0: to 3. Once again, that's really, we really see
1: that today. That's really,
0: I mean, to me, that's darn close to yeah. unanimous. Yeah,
1: exactly. While viewed as a moderate, when it came to certain issues like women's rights, she tended to be more liberal. With the makeup of the court-leaning conservatives, she was often writing for the minority opinion. Some of those opinions were rather scathing, which earned her the nickname of the notorious RBG, okay. a name she ultimately embraced. In this little thing is just, she was a petite little thing. Yes, too. she was. In addition yeah. to being an advocate on women's issues, she also championed getting mental health conditions covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act and increased the rights of people affected by corporations that pollute. Oddly, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, one of the more liberal justices on the court, was great friends with Antonin Scalia, one of the most conservative justices on the court. They often went out to dinner together and both shared a love of opera, which they would attend together. Hmm. Martin died in 2010, four days after their 56th wedding anniversary. I know. Despite having health issues of her own, Ruth said her job on the Supreme Court helped her deal with his death. During her time on the court, RBG had five different bouts of cancer and underwent surgery and chemotherapy multiple times while continuing her role in the highest U.S. court. I really thought she was never going to die. I mean, she just, she kept having these things happen and she would bounce back and she just was so I didn't realize there was five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just kept coming, like, she famously worked with a trainer who was a trainer (laughs) for the Army Special Forces. He has a book on training her. (laughs)
0: That's
1: so cute. cute. Just before her 80th birthday, Ruth was filmed banging out 20 push-ups. Oh, that's adorable. She eventually died in September of 2020 from pancreatic
0: cancer. That cancer is aggressive. Yeah. Although they are making strides. I think that is one thing that we did talk about it, that they are making strides with it, but that is a hard one. Thousands of
1: mourners... And political figures from both parties paid tribute to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she was buried next to her husband in Arlington National Cemetery. The popularity of Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not only as a great legal mind and advocate, but also pop culture icon. Yes, pictures of Ruth and her famous collars that she wore with the rose pearls, yes, can be found on bumper stickers, T-shirts, coffee mugs, all over. Like I said, she's on my wall. (laughs) She may well be the most famous person on the Supreme Court. Right. um, Or who's been on the Supreme Court. Like I said, Kate McKinnon played her many times on Saturday Night Live. And they just created a Lego, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, after she did a cameo in the Lego 2 movie.
0: Oh my gosh, that's cute. I just love her. Like I said. adorable.
1: I did a little bit on Sonia Sotomayor in episode 53, so you can always... Hear more about Justice Sotomayor in that episode. Sonia Sotomayor um, was appointed to the Supreme Court in 2009 by then-President Barack Obama to replace retiring Justice David Souter. Justice Sotomayor was the third woman appointed to the Supreme Court. So we're getting through these. Right. You know, there aren't very many. So she was appointed by Barack Obama to replace retiring Justice David Souter. Okay. Justice Sotomayor was the third woman, like I said. Um, so we're working our way through the list. Okay. Sonia Sotomayor was the first Hispanic and the first woman of color to be sworn in as a justice of the Supreme Court. Sonia Sotomayor's story is sort of like the American dream. She was born in the Bronx borough of New York City in 1954, so she's my mom's age. Okay. Her parents were both from Puerto Rico, but met in New York during World War II. Her father didn't speak English and worked as a tool and die maker, and her mother was an orphan and moved to New York to become a telephone operator and then a practical nurse. They were poor and lived in a tenement in the South Bronx in a largely Puerto Rican neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Her father was an alcoholic, and while not abusive, he was also not very present. And I'm sure with the family, I mean,
0: I'm sure he was spending the money, though, too, on yeah. alcohol. I'm sure that was hard it's on the expensive. family financially. Yeah, Correct. Expensive. Correct. So I'm sure that was still difficult, yeah. even if he wasn't violent. It yeah. sure, I'm sure it still affected the family.
1: Milk would have... Gone a long ways. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, her father died from heart problems when Sonia was just nine. He was only forty-two. She had a difficult relationship with her mother, mm. but also found her an inspiration to work hard. She was very close to her grandmother, who she said made her feel safe and loved. I'm glad she had Which, somebody. Yeah, I was yep. going to say that's what we all want. Yep. She was close with her extended family and made frequent trips to Puerto Rico during the summers. Sonia's mother, Selena, greatly valued education. Selena bought an entire set of encyclopedias for Sonia and her younger brother, Juan. So for those of you that might be younger, encyclopedias were a large set of books that we used to look up stuff before the internet.
0: And there'd be salesmen that would come oh, yeah. to your door yeah. and try to sell them yes. to you. Yeah, and we had, yeah. They were kind of expensive back they in were. the day. And you would maybe get one a month. Like yeah. you would oh, get yeah. a World Book Encyclopedia. <laughs> That's was right. Would a would come. You're right. Yeah. And then B would come. And yeah. it would take a long time for to, you to get to to the
1: like whole set. <laughs> 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 Selena pushed the children to become fluent in English and also pushed them to achieve high academics great Sonia helped improve her English by reading Nancy Drew books which I love, love right Nancy there Drew. <laughs> when she was 10 she decided she was going to go to college and that she was going to be an attorney and asked <laughs> why she was going to do that she responded that after watching Perry Mason yes. she decided she wanted to be a judge oh, I love which I love that she would say a judge and not just an, you know right she picked the judge right. So she got into Princeton on a full scholarship and there are very few Latinos or other minority students at Princeton. She got into Princeton on a full scholarship and there were very few Latinos or other minority students at Princeton. And Sonia became active in school politics to try to encourage more minority admissions and hiring more minority faculty. She felt challenged in school because her English wasn't as good as the other students, so she had to work even harder. She spent a lot of time in the library studying... Even over the summers and sought help from professors outside of class. So her final paper was Politics of Puerto Rico, which was 178 pages and won recognition in Latin American studies. She won several undergraduate honors and graduated summa cum laude from Princeton, graduating in the top 5% of her graduating class. Wow. So many smart ladies here. <laughs> After graduating from Princeton, Sonia got a full-ride scholarship to Yale Law School. Mm -hmm. She graduated from Yale Law, which is pretty prestigious, Mm -hmm. and was immediately hired as a deputy district
0: attorney for New York County. Can we just stop and say she wasn't doing research? I know, that's what I was going
1: to say. I'm like, Hallelujah! already people, it's changed. So she's able to get a job. Yes.
0: Wow, exactly. Yay.
1: (laughs) So she later went into private practice working on her own for a few years before joining a law firm. Eventually, she became a partner in a firm after several years of civil litigation. She also used this time to advocate for causes to help low income people, particularly related to issues for the Hispanic population. Sonia was nominated to be a district judge in New York and was later appointed by George H.W. Bush to Mm. fill a federal judge position in New York in 1991. She was the first Puerto Rican woman to be appointed to the federal court. Bill Clinton nominated her to the U.S. Court of Appeals in 1997, and after 10 years on the Court of Appeals, Barack Obama appointed her to be a justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. Sonia was the first Hispanic person ever to sit on the Supreme Court. Pretty impressive. Yes. And I'm, I'm like you. I'm excited that she didn't have to start with the, with the research. Here. Come do research. <laughs> no. And you don't get a bathroom. You graduated from Yale on the time. I know.
0: Come yes. do research.
1: <laughs> Jeez. Uh, the fourth woman to sit on the United States Supreme Court is Elena Kagan, nominated by Barack Obama in 2010. Elena was born in 1960 in Manhattan. Her father was a lawyer who worked to protect tenant rights, and her mother was a schoolteacher. Her grandparents were Russian Jewish immigrants, and Elena has two brothers. They were raised Jewish, although Elena reportedly clashed with their Orthodox rabbi about the role of women in the Jewish family, <laughs> which I already love right there. <laughs> Elena was an avid reader and loved Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, which she reread every year. She did very well academically and was involved in student government, where she was elected student body president during high school. When she graduated high school, she went on to Princeton where she graduated summa cum laude with a degree in history. In 1983, Kagan got into Harvard Law School, where, despite being an excellent student, she got pounded by the heavy workload in her first year. Undeterred in her second year of law school, she got her feet under and started getting mostly A's. She even made it into the Harvard Law Review and worked as a summer law associate at a prestigious Wall Street law firm. She graduated in 1986, magna cum laude from Harvard Law, which... Jeez. I'm sure is no easy feat. Right. After law school, she was a law clerk for a judge in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, and later she clerked for the U.S. Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, who I talked about in episode mm-hmm. 116. Thurgood Marshall hired her as a law clerk because he thought she had a certain spark. I love and it. Me too. <laughs> me too. And would affectionately call her shorty when she clerked for him. Is she Tiny.
0: Do you know? I don't know. I just wonder if she's short or something.
1: But I love I love nicknames in general. No, I, I do mean, too. I, I'm not. I just wonder if, but, like, yeah.
0: Now, now, I'm gonna have to look I that mean, up. I mean, we can't be offended. No, Teresa <laughs> and I are not tall, so just so you know, we're both short. No, we are both short. <laughs> shorty one, shorty yeah. <laughs> two. So
1: in 1989, she went into private practice at a major Washington D.C. law firm, where as a junior associate, she handled lawsuits that involved First Amendment issues in media cases. In 1991, she became an assistant professor at the University of Chicago Law School. It was there that she met Barack Obama, who was a guest lecturer at the college. Her writings as a law professor dealt primarily with the First Amendment, including addressing hate speech. Mm. In 1993, then-Senator Joe Biden appointed Elena to special counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee. And in that role, she was involved with the confirmation process for RBG. It's just all of these areas are just so overwhelming right so many many facets of our government yes um kagan served in the clinton white house as counsel for the president and worked on domestic policy for bill clinton including campaign finance reform and social welfare issues bill clinton would go on to nominate elena kagan to go on to the u.s court of appeals for the district of columbia but her vote was not ever allowed to go up before the senate confirmation, preventing her from taking the position. Following the Clinton administration, she went back to Harvard as a visiting professor and eventually was made a full professor at Harvard Law School. She eventually was made the dean of Harvard Law School, where it was noted that she had the ability to diffuse difficult situations Hmm. and help parties reach consensus, which I think,
0: huge compliment. Yeah, just that mediation type. Yeah, good reputation. I think is really... Very and vital. Right. I mean, especially right. Like A good mediator is yes, amazing. Exactly.
1: Yes. As dean, she tried to hire professors from different political viewpoints to help round out the views of the staff, which is kind of what you were saying, how right. important it is to bring different ideas together. Right. In 2009, Barack Obama appointed her as the Solicitor General for the United States, which is the fourth highest position in the Department of Justice. The Solicitor General's primary duty is to represent the United States in cases before the Supreme Court. When Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens decided to retire, then-President Obama nominated Elena Kagan to fill his seat. She was one of three judges appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court who had no prior experience being a judge. Although she had prior experience as a Supreme Court law clerk and had argued a number of cases before the Supreme Court, she was sworn in on, on August seventh, two
0: 2010. I think if you know how to read laws and... yeah. I don't know if not you really easy. need to be, have experience as a judge. If you know how to read laws and apply them. And especially if she was really good at, you know, um, mediating with people. Right. And, and coming to. And also, yeah, she's working with a team. I yeah. know that sounds kind of weird. With a group of people. Right. Yeah, I don't know. If, yeah. I, I think that's really great to have somebody else that has other skills. Yeah. In that, you start group them off of people. younger
1: because right, you know, right, I think that's great, right, right. In 2020, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, leaving a vacancy on the Supreme Court. So, then President Donald Trump nominated Amy Coney Barrett to fill the position. So, she was the fifth woman to be appointed to the Supreme Court in its 230, over <laughs> 230
0: year history. Number five, number five.
1: <laughs> so, Amy Vivian. Which I love the name Vivian. I do it reminds too. me of Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> I just. Okay. <laughs> um, Coney was born in New Orleans, Louisiana in 1972. Well, oh, she's our age. I know. I was thinking that too. Yeah. She was the oldest of seven children. Wow. With five sisters and a brother. Her father was an attorney for the Shell Oil Company, and her mother was a high school French teacher. So notice, two of them had moms that were teachers. I think and, and dads they were, that were an attorney. Yeah, they mm-hmm. were a generation where that was you know teachers were an okay thing, and right. or being a nurse. But so she was raised devoutly Catholic, and her father served as an ordained deacon in the parish Amy grew up in. Amy went to an all girls Catholic school in New Orleans where she was the student body vice president. After high school, she attended Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee, where she majored in English literature. She graduated magna cum laude and was named Most Outstanding English Department Graduate. (laughs) Amy then went on to Notre Dame Law School on a full scholarship and was the editor of the Law Review, graduating first in her class in 1997. Like her fellow associate justice, Elena Kagan, Amy clerked for a judge in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia and then clerked for a Supreme Court justice. Amy clerked for Antonin Scalia for two years. And just to clarify, the positions to be a law clerk for a federal judge and particularly the Supreme Court are very competitive, Uh, super competitive. Yeah. And very difficult to get. Little side note, I love Gretchen Rubin. Yes, And she clerked for Sandra Day O'Connor. Wow. Yeah. I had no clue. Yeah. I love her, like, happier podcast. Right, right, um, right. In 1999, Amy married Jesse Barrett, who they had met at law school in Notre Dame. Together, they have seven children. Two of them were adopted from Haiti. As a fun fact, Amy is an avid runner and has completed several marathons. She's also an accomplished piano player. Wow. Following clerking for Justice Scalia... Amy Coney Barrett went on to private practice and worked for a law firm that represented George W. Bush in the lawsuit filed by Al Gore in the 2000 presidential Mm -hmm. election. Similar to the 2016 election, Al Gore won the popular vote, but George W. Bush won the Electoral College. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the recount in Florida be stopped and that George W. Bush declared the winner of the election despite election irregularities in Florida. Amy Coney Barrett would later become a visiting professor at the George Washington University of Law School, followed by becoming a faculty professor at Notre Dame Law School, where she taught federal courts, evidence, and constitutional law. As a professor, she won the Distinguished Professor of the Year three times. Wow. So that's pretty impressive. Yes. In 2017, then President Trump nominated Amy to be on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, which covers Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. Okay. After Justice Ginsburg died, Donald Trump nominated Amy Coney Barrett to fill the vacancy. This was a highly charged nomination process and came during the pandemic, right? which was rough, and that complicated the process. But sure. she was confirmed by the U.S. Senate with 52 to 48, with the votes going along party lines eight days before the 2020 presidential election. The most recent woman to be appointed, we're finally there, number six, appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court is Ketanji Brown Jackson. She was the sixth woman to be appointed and the first black woman to serve on the Supreme Court. Ketanji got her name from her aunt, who was in the Peace Corps in Africa at the time of her birth, which I love all of that, and her name means the lovely one.
0: The lovely one. So, like Katanji that. was
1: born in 1970 in Washington, D.C. I know, I know. <laughs> um, but she was raised in Miami. When she was young, her father attended law school, and Katanji remembers her father sitting at the dinner table with a stack of law oh, books yeah. while she sat with her stack of coloring books. Oh, that oh sweet? That's cute. Her father would eventually become the chief attorney for the Miami Dade County School Board, and her mother was the principal of an art school in Miami. Katanchi was a champion debater in high school and won a national oratory championship in her senior year. I don't know if I want my
0: kids to be champion debaters. (laughs) (laughs) Because I am not. I mean, maybe it's good that her dad was an attorney. But if my kid's a champion debater, they're winning. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Go talk to grandma. Go talk to grandma.
0: (laughs) Go talk to somebody else who's a better debater than me.
1: Um, she said her debate experience prepared her for her career in law, kind of like what you're saying. Of course. Um, she was yeah. quoted in her high school yearbook as saying she wanted to go into law and eventually become a judge. She, like many of the other women on the Supreme Court, was class president of her high school. Um, when she was getting ready to graduate from high school, she wanted to apply to Harvard for her undergraduate studies. Her guidance—this is going to tick you off—her guidance counselor told her she should set her sights lower.
0: How about just to so, play?
1: Yeah. Do Why it. not? Just, yeah. Right. What's the harm? Right. So, not only did Ketanji get into Harvard, she did very well. While her degree was in government, she also took drama classes and participated in improv group. Hmm. She was even partnered in a drama course with Matt Damon oh, for a while.
0: <laughs> that tells you he's our age. Yes. So, when is. one of the
1: classmates hung a Confederate flag out of his dorm window Jackson organized the Black Student Association to protest, leading to the flag being taken down. She also organized student protests demanding that they have more full-time professors in yeah. Harvard's Afro-American Student sp- Studies program. She graduated from Harvard, magna cum laude, with a bachelor's degree in government. She then took a job with Time magazine as a staff reporter and researcher before there's the researcher again that right. she chose to.
0: Right. Before but getting She into, also wasn't out of law school right. at that point. Right. So I can kind of understand. Right. Yes. I'm, I'm feeling okay yes. about this one. <laughs> this yes. Part. Okay.
1: But she obviously knows how to research right. because she goes into law. <laughs> um, so, a researcher before getting into Harvard Law School. Also, like many of the women on the Supreme Court, she was the editor of the Harvard Law, law Review. <laughs> yep. In 1996, she graduated laude from Harvard Law and Katanji married fellow Harvard graduate Patrick Jackson who's a surgeon. The couple have they have two daughters and after law school she clerked for the US District Court judge in Massachusetts and then moved into private practice for a short time. She then got the opportunity to clerk for Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer for 2 years. Katanji then returned to private practice for a short time before getting a job as a federal public defender. She was appointed in 2009 by Barack Obama to work on the U.S. Sentencing Commission. Like I said, there are so many
0: there is. areas. If you've ever watched The West Wing, <clears throat> I, that just blew my mind. Yeah. Because I'm on a big government. <sighs> yeah. You, you oh gosh, know, it's so but just even watching that gave me a little bit. I know it's not, you know. A documentary or anything, but it really. But it's probably kind of like
1: Big Bang Theory, where you know they probably have people that are experts in the field.
0: Correct. That are right. It was just kind of amazing to me to see that whole aspect of it.
1: So, so like I said, in 2009, she was appointed to the U.S. Sentencing Commission to amend sentencing guidelines, Mm -hmm. which had been becoming increasingly harsh over the years. Mm -hmm. Obama also nominated her to be a federal district judge for Washington, D.C. in 2012. Paul Ryan, who was a representative in the United States House of Representatives, said about her during her congressional appointment hearings, Our politics may differ, but my praise for Katanji's intellect, for her character, for her integrity is unequivocal. Wow. I am impressed with that. I am too. So, from 2013 to 2021, Katanchi served as a federal district court judge. In 2021, she was nominated by President Biden to be a federal appellate court judge, and she was confirmed by the Senate. She was in the position for less than two years before being nominated by President Biden to fill the vacancy on the Supreme Court left by the retirement of her former boss, Justice Stephen Breyer. This was a difficult confirmation fight, as Katanji was well-supported by Democrats and civil rights groups, but strongly opposed by Republicans. Hmm. Eventually, several Republicans and all of the Democratic senators voted to confirm Katanji Brown-Jackson as the first Black woman justice of the Supreme Court, and she was sworn in on June 30th, 2022. So relatively recently, recently yeah. Yeah. All of these women are just so smart. Yes. And accomplished. Yes. They really have been pioneers in their field. And they've been, you know, a field that was before dominated and still is dominated really is. by men. Yeah. Until recently we're starting we're to make getting a little there. progress. We're getting there. They're now part of the history of the highest court in the land and are making changes that impact the entire country. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was once quoted as saying, People ask me sometimes when will there be enough women on the court? <laughs> and my answer is, when there are nine. People are <laughs> shocked, but there'd be nine men, and nobody's ever raised a question about that. That's so interesting. I kind of think I'd like to see a Supreme Court of all women. Just for a while. I saw a little a little blurb with Will Ferrell saying that, I think it's time for women to—, to you know, rule the world for a little bit. Let's see how
0: that changes. But I was on a jury once with six women and it was awesome. I didn't want oh. to be there. I have to tell oh, you, yeah. like, I didn't want yeah. to be there, but it was such a great experience yeah. working with these other women. Yeah. I remember I came home and I said to my husband, like, that was such a great experience working with these five wonderful mm-hmm. women.
1: And I don't, I'm teasing about all women. No, Gloria, no, no. I get I do it. think there but, there needs to be more women. Yeah. Yeah. In positions like this. Yeah. But, but,
0: you know, maybe someday we're getting there. Amazing. So when I was writing that first story about Sky and the two donors mm-hmm. that saved her life, um, they were both found through Be The Match, I really realized that I just knew nothing about that process, like I said. I actually have one family member and one friend that have donated kidneys. Oh, wow. But I know that's a totally different mm-hmm. process. So I just went to the website and... Thought I would give you guys an overview and learn. And much like the website for the Christopher Reeve Foundation, there was a whole section for parents and families, which Uh I always really love to see. Information about the diseases that can be helped with bone marrow transplant. It is mostly blood cancers, apparently. Mm. Uh Which, honestly, I just, I'm sure some of you know this, I didn't. So, different types of leukemia, Hodgkin and non-Hodgkin lymphoma, multiple myeloma. And non-blood cancers, actually. Sickle cell disease, Mm. um, Hurler syndrome, to just name some. And there was also about, I loved it because it even talked about basically what having a transplant entails, support and resources, connecting with volunteers, and even a spot for exploring clinical trials, Mm. which I thought Mm -hmm. was, I always have found clinical trials to be something really amazing. Yeah. Just a really neat option. Yeah that's out there for people. And it was just really interesting information. The website noted for many patients, their only chance of survival is to find a matching donor Mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. And I didn't know how really a donor was matched. Mm -hmm. I know there are certain ways with kidneys that are matched and really it's, it's about a donor who matches the patient's tissue type, which is human leukocyte antigen. Just say
1: I. I understand the human
0: part. <laughs> okay. It's spelled, and I think it, you know it's kind of spelled like leukemia. Oh, okay. L e u k leukocyte mm. antigen. They call it HLA. HLA's are proteins or markers found on most cells in your body. Your immune system uses these markers to recognize which cells belong in your body and which do not. Mm. The closer the match between the patient's HLA markers and yours, the better for the patient. And a lot of times, too, they said it, it's more like if you're African-American and I'm African-American, if you're Puerto Rican and I'm Puerto Rican, it's that kind of stuff, too, that helps. Mm, okay. So um, it's not even really about like blood types or anything like that. So we'll get into that. But there is two types of there's a bone marrow transplant and there's also a peripheral blood stem cell. And one of them is like under, you know, one of them is a bigger option, which is the bone marrow transplant. Mm -hmm. And the other one is a very simple process. So the donating the bone marrow is a surgical procedure, which is done under general or regional anesthesia in the hospital. The donor receives the anesthetic. Doctors use needles to withdraw liquid marrow from the back of the pelvic bone. Mm -hmm. And then the other one, which is the stem cell treatment, it's a non-surgical procedure. And donors receive injections of a of a drug for five days, and it increases the number of blood-forming cells in the bloodstream, and then the donor's blood is removed through a needle in one arm and put into That's the other amazing. one. That's amazing. Yeah, so there's there's kind of different ways yeah. to do it now, which I, I wow. just really had no clue. Um, this is the other thing that I thought was really, really neat, is who pays for the donation process. I kind of thought that, oh, it just went through your private health insurance, and I thought, man, the donor would yeah. probably be out some money. and mm-hmm. Donors never pay for donating, and are never paid to donate. All medical costs for the donation procedure are covered by the National Marrow Donor Program. Oh, wow. I just love that. Yeah. And they also operate the Be the Match Registry. So I thought, wow, that's so great. Because what if somebody wants to be a donor but feels yeah. like, well, I can't. So the only thing they don't cover would be time taken off of work. Mm-hmm. So, obviously. so that's what you're mm-hmm. giving, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, besides. <laughs> right, right. But I just thought that's really, really cool. Um, and one thing I kind of mentioned on the other one is doctors request donors in the eighteen to thirty five age group seventy five percent of the time because as I was going through this, I thought, man, I really should get on this registry, mm-hmm. but really, eighteen to thirty five. So I'm out. So <laughs> <laughs> also, do they I don't know if they really won't anyway. Research shows cells from younger healthy donors lead to a more successful stem cell transplant for patients.
1: I wonder if that's just because they, you know, divide and and grow faster or sure
0: sure g- generate faster sure mm-hmm. i mean that make, it does make sense mm-hmm. really patients are most likely to match with the donor of their own ethnic background matching donors to patients have nothing to do with the blood type like mm-hmm. i said mm-hmm. in fact a patient's blood type will change to their donors that's i know so weird. it's more about those hla markers yeah. that i talked about wow. about that protein and everything else 70% of patients don't have a fully matched donor in their family so they rely on the be the match registry to find the donor the more people that join the registry the more mm-hmm. likely a patient will find a match the one thing too that was really easy is you can go and get a kit it's 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 really like those DNA kits you mm-hmm. know you go to the registry it's a swab it oh, is that cool. easy. Yeah, I thought Do you have to have an injection. Do you? No, yeah. it is a that's swab. swab. That's awesome. They send you the kit. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. So That's why you see yes. some
1: people with you know on their minivans with mm-hmm. be the match or
0: you know yeah. whatever it's it is that they're trying super to super quick. You know. just go to the website, you basically request this kit, they send it to you. That's it. So from the moment doctors search our registry for a donor to the safe delivery of a life-saving cell to patient besides bedsides for transplant they are there for every step of the way. Be The Match has facilitated more than 120 transplants since 1987. Wow. Um, also, you can find on the website, one more thing that I want to say is you can find registries or some people in your area mm-hmm. that, that may might need, it need it or are having a donation spree mm-hmm. um something like that but i would just say if you are 18 to 35 mm-hmm. maybe thinking about yeah. go to be bethemash.org and get their kit and send it in yeah because you also are you're really Save not out anything out. yeah either. and you're saving lives and you're saving lives, lives. think of yeah. one-year-old cute yeah. little oh, sky my gosh. yeah gonna make me cry again. again i know <laughs>
1: awesome We don't accomplish anything in this world alone, and whatever happens is the result of the whole tapestry of one's life and all the weavings of individual threads from one to another that creates something. Sandra Day O'Connor.